Pretty much all year, the Baltimore Orioles have played well above their means. They have been just outperforming everything in 2022. So we knew that most likely there would be a crash and a regression to the mean coming. But I never could have seen a crash this hard. As the Orioles, another abysmal loss to the Tigers. We'll recap that and then talk about what the O's could do this offseason to add to this team. Specifically, one special player in Shohei Otani. Is there really a chance he could wear an Oriole uniform? That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap another horrifying Orioles loss to the Tigers as they fall 3-2 and have now lost the series and dropped all five games to Detroit so far this season. I'll give you the five things you need to know from a tough Orioles loss, but then we'll take a look at a potential Orioles trade target for this offseason. Now, it may seem a little far-fetched, but could Shohei Otani really end up in an Orioles uniform? We'll talk about what it would take to get him to Baltimore, and then we'll key in on the Aberdeen Ironbirds, a big win in their championship series on Tuesday night. We'll recap that one down at the high A level, but that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. If you could leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Pods or Spotify, certainly would help out the pod. And Make sure you are liking, commenting, and subscribing to the Locked on Orioles podcast right here on YouTube. We thank you all so much for hanging on all season. I know things aren't looking great, but we still got plenty of Orioles content coming at you here in September. And we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with an O's loss. Now, to be fair to the Orioles, this one on Tuesday night was not nearly as embarrassing as the 11-0 drubbing that happened at the hands of the Tigers on Monday night. But still embarrassing at that. Tigers 3, Orioles 2, the final score from Tuesday at Camden Yards. The Tigers win the series. They are now 5-0 against the Orioles. The O's have now dropped nine straight games against Detroit heading back into the 2021 season. With the loss, the Orioles fall to 76-71. and They've lost four out of five games. They are now two games under 500 in September. Around the rest of the wild card chase, you had the Blue Jays going into Philly and beating the Phillies. You had the Rays losing to the Houston Astros. Seattle is currently playing Oakland. I'm going to guess that's a Mariners win. You do have the White Sox losing to the Guardians in the fifth. As I record this right now, they got started a little late because of some weather there in Chicago. But at the end of the day, the Orioles are... Most likely going to be five and a half back of the Rays, six back of the Mariners, and seven and a half back of the Blue Jays in the wild card chase. They're just, they're not getting into the playoffs this year. But I'm going to get you the five things 
you need to know from the Orioles' 3-2 loss to the Tigers. The first thing you need to know is, well, the offense looked abysmal once again for the Orioles. At least they scored in this game. It took them until the 7th to get a hit on Monday night. It took them until the 7th to score a run on Tuesday night. Two runs on six hits in this game. They hit the ball a little harder at times, I guess. They had eight hard-hit balls in this game as opposed to the four from the night before. But just like they were set down by a bad lefty in Tyler Alexander on Monday night, they were set down by another bad lefty in Joey Wentz on Tuesday night who goes five and two-thirds scoreless, two hits, two walks, and four strikeouts. The Orioles continue to just be baffled by left-handed pitching this entire season. And, you know, I mean, the O's, I just, I don't know. They did strike out more in this one. That wasn't an issue on Monday night, but it certainly was in this one. Eight strikeouts in the nine innings of this game. I, I just don't know what to tell you. They're not scoring here in September. They can't do anything with runners in scoring position. It's sad, and it's only going to get worse when this team takes on the Houston Astros and the Yankees and the Blue Jays nearing the end of the season because, man, oh, man, it is bad right now against a terrible Detroit Tigers team. Second thing you need to know from this one is, well, the reason the Orioles even got on the scoreboard in this game is because Gunnar Henderson continues to impress. Despite everyone around him not doing that, Gunnar Henderson in another new role in this one and had another big game. Two for five for Henderson, which included a two-run home run in the seventh inning that got the Orioles on the board. It made it a 3-2 game at the time. He had four hard-hit balls in this game. He did not strike out. It was one of his better offensive games as a professional in this one. And for Henderson, just a rocket off Joe Jimenez in the seventh inning for a two-run shot to get the O's on the board. 106 off the bat, 409 feet out to right field for the two-run homer, his third of the year, and his first career home run at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. It looked like it sparked the team a little bit, but just not enough for the Orioles. And for Gunner, I mentioned a new spot. He hit leadoff for the first time on Tuesday night. Cedric Mullins got the day off against the lefty, ended up pinch-hitting late in the game. But Gunner hits leadoff. It's something we could see some in 2023. We could see it some more here in 2022. I kind of liked the look of the Oriole lineup with him in the leadoff spot. Not that it mattered, but he did have a, a good game out of that one spot for the first time. Third thing you need to know, I mentioned the home run at least bringing a spark. The Orioles did try to rally a couple times late in this game. Now, not that it amounted to anything, but... They certainly did try it in this one. I mean, they got two on in the sixth before Adley Rutschman struck out. I mean, Gunnar Henderson did hit the two-run home run, but they got two more on after that in the seventh and were not able to strike in that one. Jesus Aguilar had a leadoff single in the eighth, immediately erased by Ramon Arias' double play, who went 0 for 4 and looked lifeless at the plate again. Then Austin Hayes walked just for Cedric Mullins to ground out to end the inning. And then even Jorge Mateo, I mean, he goes ahead 3-1 and one to lead off the ninth against Detroit closer Gregory Soto, and then he swings at ball four, and then he swings at ball five, and then he takes a strike on three and two to strike out. I mean, Henderson put a good swing on a ball, got robbed, and Ryan Mountcastle hit one of the warning tracks. So, I mean, they looked good at times in the, in the late innings, but 
just wasn't there for the O's once again. This offense is just putrid right now. Fourth thing you need to know from this one as we turn to the pitching side is that Austin Voth was back into the Oriole rotation after briefly pitching out of the bullpen, and he was fine. I He wasn't great. He wasn't bad. He was fine in this one. Voth goes five innings, allowing two runs on six hits, three strikeouts, no walks, and a home run allowed in this one. He threw just 62 pitches through the five innings, but he was looking shaky near the end. So Brandon Hyde pulled him as he did have a fairly fresh bullpen. Five hard-hit balls against Voth, including the big one, the two-run homer in the third inning that got Detroit on the board. It was Akil Badu, who has just had a horrible season, not hitting any home runs, hitting for no power. And he blasts the ball 108.5 off the bat, 448 feet, the longest home run hit by a left-handed hitter this season at Oriole Park to give Detroit a 2-0 lead in that third inning on a middle-middle 2-0 fastball from Austin Voth. He settled down after that, got some help from his defense. They cut down a runner at the plate in the fifth inning as well. But again, he was just fine. I I mean, it, it wasn't some of the dominance we've seen from Voth, and it wasn't any of the bad stuff. He got eight whiffs, six came on the four-seamer. He was mostly four-seam curveball, 28 four-seamers, 21 curveballs, and then just eight sweepers and five cutters from Austin Voth in this one. Not much more to say than he was fine. He certainly is going to keep his rotation spot, I would think. But uh, he did pitch well enough to, to help this team win. The offense just not giving him any help. And the fifth and final thing you need to know as we move to the Oriole bullpen, they did their job to keep the O's in this game, allowed just one run over their four innings of work. That was Joey Crable, who after a scoreless sixth did give up a solo home run in the seventh inning to Kerry Carpenter that made it a 3-0 game at the time. But that was the only run the Oriole bullpen gave up. Two innings from Crable, CNL Perez, a 1-2-3 dominant eighth with a strikeout and Brian Baker did allow two hits in the ninth, but he got a great defensive play by Jorge Mateo, robbing Akil Badu of a two-run single to get Baker a scoreless top of the ninth and keep it a 3-2 game. And the one thing I did want to mention about this Brian Baker outing, you know, he got a lot of help from Jorge Mateo defensively in that ninth inning to put up the zero. But what was interesting is, you know, we've talked all year about how Baker has this really good stuff, but... The really good stuff is the you know 99 mile per hour fastball and the devastating changeup. He's just not able to command them at times. Whereas his best command pitch is his cutter, but the cutter gets killed. Well, what was really interesting for the first time this year, Baker basically didn't throw his cutter. He threw 16 pitches. It was 11 four seamers, four changeups, and just one cutter. Now he wasn't great. Got out of there unscathed, but did not get a whiff in the six swings he induced in the inning. So you know you would like to improve on that, but. It does seem like he's going away from that cutter and working through that in the offseason, adding a different third pitch should help him improve heading into 2023. But it kind of didn't matter once again what the pitching did because the Oriole offense was uh, just non-existent. Although you'd maybe like a, a little deeper into the game from Austin Both or a little better. So I think all Orioles fans are in agreement that the O's could certainly use at least one veteran, solid, top-of-the-line starting pitcher, maybe two this offseason. And I think they could certainly use one or two bats at the minimum. I mean, at the very least, the O's need to go get a good starting pitcher and a good bat in free agency or via trade to add to this team for 2023. But what if, what if, the Orioles could acquire one player that could do both those jobs, hit and pitch at an elite level? That's right. Shohei Otani and the Orioles were mentioned in the same sentence 
on Tuesday. So coming up next, let's dive into it a little bit. Is it possible for the Orioles to acquire Otani via trade this offseason? But I'm sure getting Shohei Otani to Baltimore would make many of you very, very excited. Speaking of excited, summer's winding down. The nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Now, guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anywhere, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process, it's simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part is, it's all done online, so there's no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. So if you could benefit from some extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. You can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Locked On at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code Locked On to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. So the Orioles lose again to the Tigers, another abysmal offensive performance. The pitching wasn't amazing, just overall bad, bad, bad in this series against Detroit for the O's. So the O's should go get a pitcher. The O's should go get a bat this offseason. Or they could do both with one player. Yes, Shohei Otani could certainly be traded by the Angels this offseason. He's got one year remaining on his initial deal with L.A. before he hits free agency. He'll be a free agent after the 2023 season. And with the Angels being terrible once again, despite having Trout and Otani, with the owner of the team looking to sell, Artie Moreno is looking to sell the club, they're going through a huge transition, it would kind of make sense that the Angels would at least shop Otani around and try and get a big return this offseason. And Jim Bowden, writing his piece in The Athletic on Tuesday, Name some teams that he just thought could possibly have the ability to go get Shohei Otani. Now, this was not him reporting that these teams have interest in trading for Otani or, you know, are already thinking about trying to call the Angels after the season ended. He just said these are the teams that theoretically could do it if they wanted to. He named the Dodgers, the Mariners, the Blue Jays, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Yankees, and the Orioles in that column on Tuesday. He called them all, quote, contending teams with well-stocked farm systems. And I think that's correct. The Orioles were contending up until recently here. They will certainly hope to be contending next year, and they definitely have a well-stocked farm system. They fit all of that. So the question is, A, would they want to go after Shohei Otani? And B, do they have the guys to get him? And at face value, it is yes as the answer to question A and B. Right there. Should the Orioles want Shohei Otani? Of course. Every team should want Shohei Otani. Even if he becomes a free agent after next year and you don't re-sign him, you should want Shohei Otani on your baseball team for the entirety of the 2023 season. Imagine the O's add another different bat, another different pitcher, and then they add Shohei Otani, who, oh yeah, is in the Cy Young conversation as a pitcher, is dominating as a hitter, 
and could very well be the American League MVP this year. Now, I think it probably should go to Judge. I think it probably will go to Aaron Judge. But Shohei Otani won the MVP in 2021. He's going to finish no worse than second here in 2022. He's a top five player in baseball, no doubt about it right now. You should want him on your team, even if it's for one year. He's hitting 268. 358 on base, 536 slugging, 34 homers, and a 147 WRC plus at the plate this season. As a pitcher, 25 starts, 148 innings, a career best 2.43 ERA with a 2.44 FIP, 12 strikeouts, and just two walks per nine for Otani. You combine the pitching and the hitting, 8.7 WAR according to Fangraphs. Otani has been worth. This season, he's got a higher batting average than last season. The rest of the offensive stats are a tick down, but all of his pitching stats are the best of his career here in 2022. Now I get it. 2023 is the final year of his deal, and it would certainly take a whole lot to get Otani from the Angels. And it's more likely than not that the team that acquires Otani, if the Angels do trade him this offseason, would probably almost immediately sign him to a long-term extension, similar to what the Mets did a couple years ago with Francisco Lindor. They acquired him from Cleveland in the offseason and almost immediately signed him to a giant extension to be the Mets shortstop for the next decade. That's probably what would happen if there were an Otani trade this offseason. And when you look at the numbers, it's staggering. You know, I was looking at Spotrack, was looking at some other places who have kind of talked about what that Otani extension or what that Otani contract would look like if he hits free agency after next year. And the most reasonable but still outlandish projection I saw, eight years, $400 million for Shohei Otani. That's $50 million per year. Max Scherzer is making just over $43 million per year right now. That is the current league high in average annual value, although he is on a very short contract, just three years getting that money. But with what Otani's worth of the pitcher and a hitter, he's probably going to be the first player ever to get $50 million per year. Now, the question is, would a team maybe give him, you know, three years and $150 million? Try and, you know, maybe three years, one seventy-five, just shorter, more money, but try and keep him around and, and spend the money you have. Maybe if you feel like you don't have $400 million guaranteed to shell out. Either way, I mean, the Orioles, in theory... They have billionaire owners who have that money to give out. But even if they don't want to, at least give it a try. I mean, you look at the Orioles system. It's across the board, a top five system in baseball. And many outlets rank it as the number one in all of baseball. The Orioles certainly have the horses to go get Otani in a trade. Forget, you know, being able to re-sign him and keep him in Baltimore past next year. They've got the guys to go do it. And... You know, the, the guys at BSL on the Verge tweeted out the top of the Norfolk Tides lineup on Tuesday night after Connor Norby had gotten promoted to AAA. Of course, what did he do? Well, he homered in the first pitch he saw in AAA, now has 26 home runs on the season. But it was Connor Norby, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Colton Kowser. That was the top four in the lineup. That package right there, I half-jokingly tweeted out, you know, this is the Angels 2023 opening day starting lineup. I think those four guys right there might get you Shohei Otani. Now, do the Orioles want to trade those four guys, which are, you know, right now four of your top five hitting prospects probably, with the other one, of course, being Jackson Holiday? Well, maybe you don't right now, but I would. I mean, Connor Norby, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Colton Cowser, they all look like studs. But Shohei Otani 
is arguably the best player in baseball right now. Even if you're just getting him for a year, you could argue it's worth it to give up guys like that. Now, maybe you can get away with it not being all three of those guys, and maybe it's Norby, Westberg, Ortiz, and instead of Kowser, you can throw in an Austin Hayes, or maybe you throw in an Anthony Santander, so they know they're at least getting a guy who has already been productive in the major leagues to insert right into the Angels lineup. Maybe you do that as well, but if the Angels are going to trade Shohei Otani, it's probably to go into a little more of a rebuild than a quick turnaround, so they're probably going to want more minor league players. Now, there is a limit to what the Orioles should give up to get Otani, especially if they know they wouldn't re-sign him and they'd have him just for one year. You shouldn't completely empty the farm system. But really think about it. If the Orioles knew they'd have Shohei Otani for next year, and had a chance of re-signing it, if he was open to it with the Orioles, wouldn't you trade Norby, Westberg, Ortiz, and Kowser? Maybe not, because that's a lot to give up. But just think about it. Maybe it ends up being a little less than that, but something close to that package is what it would take. And, you know, maybe you could get him to throw in a, a reliever like an Aaron Loop or something, or a Ryan Tapera, a veteran to help your bullpen to, to sweeten the deal on your end. But you're getting Shohei Otani. You don't really need to sweeten the deal anymore. Obviously, the big factor is maybe you think you can't re-sign him. You only get him for one year, but it's the best player in baseball. you imagine adding Shohei Otani to this team next year? It'd be go time. I don't think this is going to happen, but just for Jim Bowden to mention the Orioles in that sentence does get you a little excited for the offseason, doesn't it? But whether or not Shohei Otani comes to the O's or not should be an interesting offseason for the Orioles, they should be adding some big-time Major League talent here for next season. But at the Minor League level, the Orioles have plenty of talent as well. And that's why they are one of the teams listed that could sign or could trade for, I should say, Shohei Otani. They got the best system in baseball. And that best system in baseball is close to getting a title at the minor league level, with the Aberdeen Ironbirds coming up with a big win in Game 2 of their championship series on Tuesday night. Coming up next, we'll recap Ironbirds Game 2 of the championship series, get you the five things you need to know from a Birds win. So winning at the major league level has not been happening a whole lot lately for the Orioles, but at the minor league level, the Aberdeen Ironbirds last night moved one step closer to a South Atlantic League championship at the high A level. After dropping game one of the league championship series against the Bowling Green Hot Rods, the Rays high A affiliate, by a score of 5-3 to three on Sunday, the series came back to Aberdeen on Tuesday night, and the Ironbirds evened the series with a 13-6 to six victory over Bowling Green. And to wrap it up, I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Ironbirds' 13-6 win in this one. And the first thing you need to know is overall, everybody dominated offensively for Aberdeen. 13 runs on 13 hits in this one. Eight of the nine starters in this game had a hit. The only one who didn't was Trendon Craig, who was 0 for 5. Excuse me, seven of the nine. Trendon Craig and Connor Pavaloni did not have a hit. You had four players, Isaac DeLeon, Frederick Bencosme, Dylan Beavers, and Judd Fabian, all had multi-hit games. They were just dominating. Hit after hit after hit after hit. They just kept coming. It was fun to watch some of this game. They were just blasting the baseball. 
And it was awesome to watch all these young guys in the O's system dominate some pretty good raised pitching prospects as well. Second thing you need to know from this one is that despite 13 runs, Aberdeen only had one home run in this game. Now, some of that has to do with the ballpark at Ripken Stadium. doesn't have a lot of home runs hit, but that one homer was hit by Dylan Beavers, his first high A home run. It was a three-run shot in the second that gave Aberdeen a 4-0 lead. And for Beavers, you know, it was a guy we talked about. The Orioles took him as their second overall pick in this year's draft, the outfielder out of Cal. We had a good conversation with Kyle Kishimoto on this podcast. Make sure to go back and check out that episode about how Beavers had some incredible college stats, but his swing is kind of weird, and they were going to work on it. And the Orioles have been working on that swing, but when he puts it together and makes contact, the ball flies off his bat. He's got a really projectable body. If they can get that swing completely right, he is going to be a dangerous, dangerous hitter down the line for the Orioles. Third thing you need to know from this one is that Heston Kerstad had a fun day in this game as well. He was DHing and hitting third, went one for three with three RBIs in this game. And the big hit came with an interesting play in the fourth inning. Kerstad coming up with... Two on in the inning, and on an 0-2 pitch, he hits a triple into right field. Now, Dylan Beavers and Billy Cook score ahead of him, but on a throwing error on the play, Kerstad able to score for a three-run Little League homer that really broke it open, put the Ironbirds up 9-2 at the time in the fourth inning. And it's just great to see Kerstad playing and hitting. And after dominance at Delmarva, it's been tough for him at Aberdeen, but he's been really good in September and in the playoffs for the Ironbirds. This should be a really good finish for him. And he is heading to the Arizona Fall League as well. So he'll get to play some more baseball before this full year is over and uh, big steps ahead for Heston Kerstad. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Gene Pinto pitched a pretty solid game, I got to say. For the Ironbirds in this one, helping them to the win. He goes five and two-thirds innings, allowing three runs, although only one was earned on three hits. He strikes out four and walks just one. He did give up a home run in this game, but listen, he made a, a good Bowling Green lineup work. He's got some good stuff, and there's a reason that you know everybody kind of fell in love with Pinto in 2021. Hasn't had the same year in 2022, but it's still been good, and I like what the stuff looks like. You know, they, they had Alex Pham behind him and you know he uh a later round pick in the 2021 draft Alex Pham was able to get a few outs and then Ricky Ramirez a former minor league rule five selection did close it out despite allowing two runs for the Ironbirds but the pitching was was all Pinto in this one and he certainly went out there and he's kind of the ace of this Aberdeen staff at this point and definitely showed it on Tuesday night then the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one listen we know the defense isn't super great at this level. And once again, Aberdeen committed four errors in this game. That's not great. But Bowling Green did commit three in this game as well. So at the end of the day, maybe it's a wash. You know, you're going to commit some errors at the lower levels of minors. It's okay. When you're mashing the ball like this, you have 13 hits. You have 13 runs. You go 7 for 11 with runners in scoring position. Errors are okay. When you're playing baseball like that, and uh, it was fun to watch some of this Ironbirds game on Tuesday night. They are in better position now, looking to bring home their first ever minor league league championship. It would be a cool way to cap off the minor league season 
in the Orioles system. But we'll keep you updated on how the Ironbirds are doing down the stretch here in their playoff race. And of course, we'll keep you updated on all things Orioles. Hopefully they can dig out of this hole and at least, I mean, maybe beat the Tigers once this year. Maybe that'd be nice. And if they do, or even if they don't, we'll have the recap for you coming up on tomorrow's episode, plus all things Orioles you need to know coming up here on the pod. Again, when we are back for a Thursday episode of the podcast. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.